following podcast may contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Binge Movies, episode 110! I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank Tom Hanks, 80s edition. I put a poll up on Twitter many moons ago, completely irrelevant to this particular episode because no one will remember it. And I gave people the option, Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. Those are basically the only two actors who have consistently worked for the last 40 years. And everybody who I thought would go for Tom Cruise voted for Tom Hanks. So if this episode stinks, blame the general public and don't blame me as I wanted Tom Cruise. <laughs> So uh, here we are. You can already hear from the laugh in the background. We're joined not by a guest, but by a contributing host, the first lady of Binge Movies, the creator of the Magic Wand, the official cocktail beverage for this podcast. Uh, the Lady Wand is back. How are you, Lady Wand? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing really good. Um, it's been very warm here in the shop. And on top of that... Um, <laughs> I've had to replace all the flooring. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. But they had some really nice flooring here. It was mostly carpeted, and mm. I can't stand carpet. Yeah. And also, with the carpet, I couldn't hear Todd skittering around. Because, <laughs> you know, as a manager of a video store and as a podcaster, I'm in a lot of closets. Yeah, of course. Right, because I'm checking inventory. I'm doing payroll. I'm recording episodes about Tom Hanks movies. I'm in very enclosed spaces. Mm -hmm. I live in a closet. I sleep on crates of Mac and Me's. This is all publicly known. Yeah. And I, it's, so I have my back to doors all the time and I will be engrossed in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm handling an HR issue. I'm, I'm trying to relocate a Pier 1 employee to a forever home at another store. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a, criminally low wages quote unquote i'm dealing with all this sort of stuff then the phone rings it's corporate they want to know what's going on how is the quantum field holding up i don't even usually know what that means i just tell them it's great and i just hang up the phone i don't know <laughs> it's just this it's it, when it, it doesn't even ring like a normal ring it makes this sort of screeching sound oh god and then this very staticky voice on the other end when i pick up the phone it's just sort of like you know how how is it how is the gateway going? How's the quantum field? And I'm like, it's great. I hang up. <laughs> I don't know. I assume it's Disney calling me. I don't know actually. Yeah. I mean, not Disney, not Disney, not Disney. Yeah. So I'm engrossed in what I'm doing. I'm talking to you, lovely people like you, guests around the world. Oh. I'm I'm losing myself in the crystal blue eyes of Paul, and I turn around. You know, it's time to end the episode. I say binge on. I sign off. I do my catchphrase. And I turn around, and Todd is just standing there, directly behind me. I don't know how long he's been there. Ugh. He has an expressionless face. Ugh. 
and his eyes are just as wide as could be, and there's nothing there, just blackness. Mm. And he's just looking at me. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't need to go out. He doesn't want to go on a walk. He doesn't, he's not asking, he's not hungry. He doesn't want to pay raise. He doesn't want to play. And when I go to reach out to him, he doesn't even really move or he like shuffles back real quick. Hmm. And it's like, he doesn't want to be held. So I have no idea what to do with this guy. And then like all of a sudden he's like, I gotta get down to the basement. And then he just disappears again down that fucking basement. So I have put parquet floors in every square inch of this video store. Good. Good. It's like a 1950s gymnasium in here. It's, 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 it's like old-timey basketball courts. So every single step you can hear. You get a squeak. So if you when we, Yeah. When okay. you oh, it's squeak and yeah, yeah. And it just tap, 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 tap. So it's very loud now when people are shopping for, for home videos uh-huh. because it's just a bunch of feet constantly tapping. And that's kind of annoying. But I can kind of keep track of him a little bit. Although he is now odorless as well. well that seems like an upgrade. Uh, yeah. I used to be able to smell him coming. He, mm. he smelled of raw sulfur. Ooh. But I would, and, and a, like a little bit of gangrene, but I would... <laughs> I encouraged him as a manager for the sake of our customers. Of course. Um, please wear deodorant. Please bathe. Wash your ass. Scrub your butt. <laughs> so next time you're in Akron, yeah. which I know is very frequently, yeah. uh, you come up from Florida, travel a thousand miles, uh, and come to the video store, and then um, I, I'll show you around. I'll show you all the new new stuff. And new decor, too. He's put a ton of uh, photographs up. And that's... Oh. You're probably wondering, why don't I just fire the guy, right? Or just get rid of him, or he's creepy, whatever. Yeah. Where else are you going to find someone who has a doctorate in particle physics who is also a renowned retro movie archivist? The things this guy comes up with are out of this world. Mm. So, I guess, I guess you're lucky to have Todd. I mean, other than the creepy aspect of it, <laughs> I, I think that I am. And I, he pulls Blu-rays out of things I've never even seen before. I had no idea that Scarlett Johansson starred in a remake of Gone with the Wind. But she did, apparently, around 2005, I guess. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I, I must have missed it. Yeah. There's so much content out there now, it's hard to keep yeah, up with everything. that's true. Yeah. And I just assume maybe it was like an international release. Maybe it didn't come out in the States. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Yeah. I think mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Here's the thing. He comes up with these videos and movies, content I've, I didn't even know existed. And those are our most popular uh, rentals. People come in and it's like they're addicted to them. They can't get enough of these. And uh, they almost get violent when I say, oh, we don't have any more. They're like, I need more. And I'm like, we don't have any more, sir, ma'am, child. <laughs> so it's right now he's kind of the linchpin of the business. So, wow. You have not had the opportunity to meet him, have no, you? Oh, no. Never met Todd. Does he follow you on Twitter? You know, I don't think he does. Does he have a Twitter? No. And I thought that was like a store policy like oh yeah we want everybody to be constantly shilling our t-shirts yeah. our membership program yeah. the binge elite of course it's just a constant shill machine on oh, twitter yeah, yeah. want to skip the line sponsor an episode for ten dollars you can select any film we haven't reviewed for a deep dive feature presentation review and for 25 dollars, you get your choice of any five films for us to rank 
Go to bingemovies.podbean.com today, hit the sponsor button, and control the binge. That sounds like the one thing he's not doing. How, what do we do with this? How do we get this guy on social media and sharing the show? Because it's like he's not pulling his weight now. All of a sudden, I went from like he's MVP yeah. to like this guy's not pulling his weight. Like, Should we set up an account for him? It, are we going to create fake tweets on behalf of Todd? I mean, can we do that legally? We wouldn't be the first podcasters to do it. So create fake accounts? Yeah. Fake tweets? Everybody's got fake accounts. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> this you're, this is, I, I, I don't know what this is. Every podcaster has fake accounts? All right, not every podcaster, but people are out there doing it. You got to create fans you, until you have fans. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that create, in my life. Oh, we got to create an account Are to you? reply to yourself to create engagement on your tweets. Dead serious. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it done. Oh, boy. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Are you telling me the contrarians are actually just Paul and Wayne? We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. You're telling me the cinema guys, the cinema guys, even though one of them's a woman, the cinema guys, it's just Paul and Wayne. Fuck. Kevin Brackett is Wayne. <laughs> what the fuck? What kind of a world am I living in? Kevin Brackett is an Asian Australian. Is he Indian? Is he Australian? He's both. And he's Kevin Brackett. <laughs> He's a white guy from St. Louis. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Here I am actually sending tweets out mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. or management sometimes takes over the Twitter account. Corporate does because they got their own agenda. They're pushing. I got nothing to say about it, but they essentially what I have to do is I have a typewriter. Yeah. And I have to type what I want to tweet, and then I, I send it to uh, Buena Vista, California, Ooh. and then the folks in Buena Vista, they then tweeted. Oh, okay. Yeah. So any typos are because I have to use a typewriter, and I don't know how. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, but you think they would fix it. Well, I'm giving it to you to fix Like, this whole social media thing is crazy. We have to write on typewriters. We give it to corporate overlords. They send it out. They don't proofread. Mm -hmm. They don't fix it. Sometimes they fuck it up even worse. And then other people are creating fake accounts. Asians are pretending to be white guys. This is nuts. This is the world we're living in. This is it. Kevin Brackett allegedly has a son. Does he? Is the son fake? I don't know. Did Wayne fake a child? If he's faking a persona, or did he? Is it was there at one time a real Kevin Brackett, and Wayne from the Countdown killed him and took his life? Mm -hmm. There's conspiracies afoot in the podcast space. This is some fucked up shit, Lady Wan. You just broke a story. You're a true crime. You should start a true <laughs> podcast crime podcast. <laughs> I think that's what we need. I think we need we need more more shows like that. So um, I'll put it on my to do list.
Well, the true crime here is Tom Hanks' career in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. I'm looking at my watch. I think it's about that time. <laughs> We're starting with 1984's Ron Howard classic, which is awkwardly available on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Splash, which currently has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> From the first laugh, critics were hooked. My name is... Splash is screamingly funny, says Sneak Preview's Jeffrey Lyons. Newsweek calls it a romantic comedy that is truly romantic and truly comic. That girl is a mermaid. You'll go splish for Splash, says Us Magazine. The best time to be had at the movie since Tootsie, raves People Magazine. Splash, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. Check local listings. Splash was directed by Ron Howard with a screenplay by Lowell Gaines. Babalu Mandel. They don't make names like that anymore. Yeah. Babalu. <laughs> that sounds like that, that sounds like a Star Wars character. <laughs> Babalu Mandel, a Jewish Star Wars character. Bruce J. Friedman is the triumphal return, of course, of Tom Hanks himself, not seen since the days of Apollo 13. And it is the triumphant return of the late, great John Candy who we last saw in Home Alone, uh, top grossing films of 1990, whatever the fuck, whenever that, 90? Was that when that came out? I don't know. It was released March 9th, 1984, on a budget of $11 million. Remember, these numbers in the 80s are primarily domestic. It made $69.8 million. A fed-up grocer finds out the mysterious love of his life is a mermaid in a literal fish-out-of-water tale. The adult version of The Little Mermaid. Yeah, kind of, right? Exactly. How weird is this that this is on Disney Plus? You know, uh, I feel like they need a different section in Disney Plus. Yeah. For this type of content. Because, I mean, I don't think people let their kids watch the stuff that we watched when we were kids. Uh, I think they've learned from those mistakes. I definitely watched Splash as a child. Because <laughs> it was like, ah, it's kind of like a fairy tale. But it's John Candy with mirrors on his shoes looking at people's skirts. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this part. <laughs> I remember her screaming in the store and breaking all the TVs and being a mermaid. That's about it. I don't remember anything else about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, they need to have like a... Uh, like we have here at Binge Movies, the uh, Pat Memorial Porn Corner, mm-hmm. where we have the saloon doors, and uh, <laughs> you go back in the little, it's like a weird little corner of the store. Yeah. Disney needs like a saloon door, and it's basically all of Fox's properties. Because yes. it's going to be incredibly bizarre. They're going to have the Little Mermaid and uh, Alien in the same platform. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some kid's going to see that chestburster scene for the first time. And have a lot of weird sexual feelings. Yeah, yeah. Saloon doors are the way to go. Right on the app. They just swing open on your TV. And yeah. then you move <laughs> yeah, into the next yes, area. Yeah. Yeah, Must be 18 or over to enter, yeah. yeah. It's very strange. like Because the, the name Disney, they've made it synonymous with family entertainment to the point that when they started producing you know, P, PG material, mm-hmm. because some of it was before PG-13, just PG material, which you could have tits and ass in PG movies at the time. Yeah. Uh, and ghost blowjobs, among many other things. And we're all a fan of getting a blowjob from a ghost. <laughs> so, right? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. What's a vagina if not a ghost penis? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they're teaching in sex ed now. I went to a Christian school. That's what they taught me. <laughs> a clitoris is just a penis that couldn't. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the point being, they were so nervous about it. Like, they, we did Midnight Madness. Mm. And a little peek behind the curtain, because the Lady Wines a contributing host, and because so many indie podcasters are flakes and phonies <laughs> uh, and will not show up on your podcast, even if you give them six months' notice. Mm -hmm. The day of, they're like, I didn't get a chance to see the movies. Bitch, I contacted you in March. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll get a free publicity for my bullshit. Okay, well, will you do the work? Ah, oh, sorry, mm. I can't. Well, fuck you, too. <laughs> so the Lady Juan is a contributing host, and Paul is a contributing host, mm -hmm. but especially the Lady Juan, yeah. because she's in the, roughly the same time zone as me. Um has to pretty much watch every single one of these yeah. movies. I'm on for episodes. She she doesn't even appear. I'm on. the understudy, and every once in a while I get called up. But I'm the understudy, yeah. just like running my lines, watching every movie, ready to go if I get the call. You had to watch Midnight Madness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. One of the most god awful movies. I was I've enraged, enraged at that movie. It was. And D.W. Lundberg did the episode. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> they disavowed that. That was their first PG feature. Mm. They disavowed it. So they put this fucking movie out, and they were like, we're going to create a company called Touchstone. It's Touchstone Entertainment. And basically, we can show Daryl Hannah's ass yeah. and her side of her tit, maybe a little bit of a nipple, and we can have pervy John Candy jokes and <laughs> sex jokes and... We can have like more adult entertainment and no one will know that it's Disney. Yeah. But because everything is being absorbed by giant evil monopolies, it's now labeled as Disney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Why is this on here? Yeah. Well if Walt were if Walt were actually dead, he'd be spinning in his grave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a, a little CGI extensive uh, hair and we're good to go now we don't okay. we don't need the saloon doors explain that to the audience in case people don't get it yeah what have they done to this movie <laughs> so they can have it on their child-friendly streaming service so essentially the lower third of daryl hannah's back is like rapunzel hair cgi'd on to cover her butt so cover her ass crack basically it's, yeah it's bizarre. Be it looks so weird and so fake. And she's a mermaid and she's like in water. Yeah. And they still have the CGI hair and it does not look real no. at any point. You're like, what? It just looks like they fucked up the movie. It's like, what? what is this? No, it looks like the best I can make is like if you've ever seen showgirls on television where they just have like yes painted yeah. on bikini tops and you're like that, that's not real yeah. that's not there's no light reflecting Correct. off the it just it looks so strange and it's it's like they put the same amount of effort into that and i don't know it just it looks bizarre you notice it more yeah. than you would notice seeing her yes. butt yes yeah because there's the weird thing is there's not 
that many shots of her just bare butt. Mm-hmm. There's a couple, and one of them is meant a hundred percent as a joke when she first comes up onto where uh, where the Statue of Liberty is, yeah. and that's like it's supposed to be a joke. Is this naked woman has just crawled out of <laughs> the the wherever where whatever the Atlantic, and it's just like sitting there in the Statue of Liberty with all these like tourists, yeah. you know, and everybody's like oogling her or uncomfortable. <laughs> And all these families and people are covering their kids' eyes. And then they cut to it. And it's just a mess of cartoon hair. Yeah. And they're like, it just kills the joke. It's so strange. It kills the joke. Yeah. Splash was like a big deal. People talked about it. It was a big hit. I think it won awards. All this sort of stuff. It's definitely a movie from an era that doesn't exist and will never exist again. Yeah. The sensibilities of it. It's that early 80s that basically still kind of looks like the 70s in a way. (laughs) And I think the natural charisma of Tom Hanks and John Candy Mm. pretty much carry this thing. Because Daryl Hannah is is good in her role, but she's not given a ton of due. And she's also supposed to be like a literal fish out of water. So she's not going to have the like witty lines because she's learning english throughout the course of the movie so you know (laughs) she's got and she's kind of more of like a sympathetic character Mm -hmm. you know she's more of a the one thing i didn't remember at all i don't even know if you saw this movie growing up or this is the first time you've seen it do you have a history with this at all this is the first time i saw this movie I didn't remember that there was a whole preamble about him jumping off a ship when he was a kid and meeting her as a child yeah just I don't remember that at all. A little. I, I was like, wait, what is it? I thought I had the wrong movie. I was like, what <laughs> is this? Because I've seen, you know, I've, like I said, I haven't seen it in 25 years. But it was on TV so much. I saw it in bits and pieces probably 30 times yeah. between Andy Griffith episodes. <laughs> so in Atlanta Braves baseball, T- T- TBS played the shit out of this movie. <laughs> and then it just disappeared. And I don't, I think it's, I think I have a reason why. It's just there's some perviness to it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What what stood out to you? What what works in the movie? What, is there anything good about it? So I was always aware of this movie, but had never seen it. And then in watching it, it just as things kept happening, I just kept being like, no, no, it's exactly the same as The Little Mermaid. Like, I I didn't know it was just the same movie minus like an evil sea witch. Like, that's it. And so really my biggest question watching this movie was, is uh, John Candy flounder or scuttle? Like that was what I was trying to figure out. Like he, he's a bit of both. He's a bit he's of both. scuttle, yeah. right? I yeah, think. Oh, oh, you mean in this movie? Yeah. Like he's, you know, w- which character is he? He's the fuck up brother. Yeah. But, but he's a little bit of flounder vibes, yeah. but then also like just talking out of his ass scuttle style. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I I didn't think I was going to like it as I continued proceeding into, no, this is the same movie, this is the same movie, and like getting grumpy about it. Uh, but then it, it kind of gets rid of all the stuff about The Little Mermaid I don't like, like her being a mute, <laughs> and they just, they don't have any real relationship. She's just pretty and quiet. Um, mm. You know, Daryl Hannah learns to speak, and she's actually really intelligent. Yeah. Like they fix they I I won't say they fix that because this came first. Uh, so it's better on that front. Uh, it's better on the front that he gives up his life for her instead of you know vice versa. Uh, it's 
like I love The Little Mermaid. It was the first movie I ever saw in movie theaters. I have like a deep emotional bond to it. But man, this is this is good. It has funny lines. I liked this. Freddie as played by anybody else would be a terrible asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that it is John Candy. It works. That guy could get away with murder. Yeah. It works. When he's yeah. like, when they get drunk at the bar because like his, he doesn't really love his fiance and she broke up with them and his, Tom Hanks. I mean, yeah. And his life is just kind of a mess mm-hmm. and they're at this like really awful 80s bar. <laughs> <laughs> and John Candy is like p- trying to pick up these women or whatever and Tom Hanks is shit face and he's just like. Picks his head up off the bar is like, I just want to go home. I'm just going home. And John Kennedy's like, okay, are you good? You need me to call me call you a taxi? Do you have enough money for the for the taxi? He's like, yeah, I got plenty of money. He goes, okay, can I have some? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like, there's, it doesn't sound that funny, yeah. but the way, he, like, John Candy had timing. Oh, yeah. It was- where he could take a mundane sentence. And just the look on his face, and when he said it, it's uh, it's uproariously funny. It's so good, yeah. And you're like, God damn, he's so good. That was my like, I I love John Candy, uh-huh. but I was just like, and then him and Hanks. I tweeted it when I was watching. Yeah. I was like, I know they did a couple, but we needed more of those two guys. It was they're like so the good perfect, together. yeah, yeah. They're so perfect because they're kind of they have the same kind of warmth about them. Mm-hmm. But there's a slight difference in just the way they could jockey off each other. And we'll get into Tom Hanks screaming constantly because that was like his go-to move. But it kind of makes sense when it's John Candy being a schmuck, you know? Yes. Yeah. The only part of this movie that really didn't work for me. And then the movie corrected itself to, to, you kind of borrow your phrase, is at the very beginning, Eugene Levy is so over the top. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's like he's out of a bad Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. It's it's so bizarre what he's doing. Yeah. But then like three quarters of the way through the movie, his whole character kind of changes. Yeah. And he's still comedic, but he's not like completely psychotic comedic. Mm-hmm. And they even spend time like giving you his backstory. Yeah. And that's the crazy part is everybody in this movie has a backstory. Yes. They're actual yeah. characters. You understand actual, their motivations. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wild. Even, yeah, the asshole, l- l- uh, uh, lustful brother. We understand why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets like, not just one or two, like repeated kind of heartfelt moments mm-hmm. throughout the course of the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm explaining to you folks is what movies used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't do that anymore. They used to take time to tell stories. Mm-hmm. No. Because Daryl Hannah and Tom Hanks, they meet his kids, then cut to his... Then we got like 25, 30 minutes. She's not in it. Mm-hmm. It's just about establishing Freddie, the grocer business, their parents, their relationship, the uh, the secretary who has amnesia, <laughs> which is just like a random gag yeah. about how she got hit in the head or struck by lightning or something. And they don't want to fire her because she's always worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's <just> like... Yeah. <laughs> They don't want to fire her because they like her, yeah. but she's now terrible at her job. It's very funny. And she's like, oh, whatever. I think she tells him like his dad called or something yeah. like that. And he's he's like, well, well, my dad's been dead for <laughs> 15 years. Yeah. And she's like, should I tell him you'll call him back? <laughs> <laughs> and 
He's like, no, no, I'll take care yeah. of it. There's, there's no point to that. But that's what movies used to be, where even like one off characters had backstories. Yeah. yeah. I miss it. You know, well, she's worked for the family for a lot of years. She was really good at her job. She got struck by lightning. Now she's terrible, <laughs> but I don't have the heart to let her go. You know, like that sort of stuff. It's so, it's, it's, as much as this, parts of this are like kind of dated, there are other parts of this that actually make me long for when people used to write characters in movies. Yeah. <laughs> Stories. They used to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you think of uh, Eugene Levy's character? I, I was prepared to be thoroughly annoyed by him, and he, he won me over. He pulls it out. He pulls the nose up by the end. Yeah. yeah he really does. Yeah. and yeah. Even by the time, like, uh, the scene where he's <laughs> Tom Hanks tracks him down in his dentist appointment. <laughs> even though he's, like, uh, yeah. ends up getting stuck by the Novocaine and, like, his legs don't work or whatever. <laughs> like, you would think that's over the top. But somehow that's more downplayed than what he's doing at the beginning. Like, ooh, I don't, I don't know about all this, but it, it comes <laughs> together. It, it works. You know, one of the funniest moments is when he's on the time, when Tom Hanks is, he's drunk and he wakes up on where they used to vacation as kids. <clears throat> he's like, oh shit, he's nowhere near New York. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, how the hell did I get out of here? And then that cut to him on a very, very tiny boat. <laughs> With a very large man who I'm pretty sure wasn't an actor. <laughs> and then the engine stalls and the guy can't get the engine going. He's like, well, I'm going to. It's just out of nowhere. He goes, well, I'm going to have to get the other ship. It just jumps yeah. into the other ship. I laugh my ass off. It just leaves him. Yeah. And he's like, where are you going? He's like, I got to get the smaller boat. Yeah. And just that. Smaller I got to get the boat. smaller boat. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, that guy was probably not an actor or did a couple of things. He was just like a big guy. Yeah. And they gave him a funny line and they had him jump Hell into the ocean. Yeah. A real ocean, by the way. Yes. And start swimming. And it was funny. And yeah. it was like, I remember when like good comedy beats were just given to like randos in movies uh, who just seemed like real people. Yeah. That's what <laughs> is the best aspect, like you said, of this movie is. The, the the characters, the actors we know, the mm -hmm. Daryl Hannahs, Eugene Levy's, Tom Hanks, uh, John Candy. We know them. They're all famous. They're all celebrities. They're all well-known actors, especially at this point. But they are, they seem like they're actual characters in the movie and not just themselves. Mm -hmm. The other random people who turn up seem like real people in a real world. Oh, Even though yeah. this is about a mermaid. Yeah. It, it, it seems like this is really New York City in a real time, in a real place. Because they spend the time convincing you this is the internal logic. This is what this world is. We just spend time in like real life with these people. It's, it's, I know I'm, I'm like praising it for basic storytelling, <laughs> yeah. but I'm so starved. Because <laughs> like you and I have talked off mic about this. Everything's a shorthand now. Yeah. And you're fond of saying, well, they're the, the mentality of writers or at least film studios is, well, you've seen movies before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Explain that. Explain what you've explained to me. That, that is the subtext I get from a lot of movies now is they don't take the time to explain why a couple should be together 
or explain why somebody is on this scheme, whatever it is. Like, it just feels like the guy behind the camera is like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know roughly what we're going for. You've seen movies. You understand a meet cute, right? And it's like, but you didn't, you didn't do it. You just, (laughs) you have, you have to do it. I don't know how you're not doing it when every movie is two hours long. What are you doing with your time? Because you're not doing it. It's, I don't, I don't know. But that's how it feels. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know what this is. You, you get it. You've seen it before, right? And it's like, well, yeah, but what is this? You know Han Solo, right? That's basically this guy. And you're like. Yeah, that's what we're getting yeah. at. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> but Han Solo kind of had a whole backstory about owing a guy money and being a smuggler and mm-hmm. dumping his load and kind of killing a guy in the middle of a bar and you know like he had a whole setup before he did anything in the plot mm-hmm. uh, we cut to him sitting there having a conversation where we're given a backstory yes that's why he's cool because <laughs> we like his backstory and then it's like ah nah this guy has a vest he's hot solo you're like yeah. this is Jurassic Park what <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you know Kurt yeah. Russell, right? Yeah, it's Chris yeah. Pratt. I was like, no, it isn't. Yeah. That, that's First of all, all Kurt happened. Russell isn't a character. He's a real person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah I, I, that's maybe one of the smartest things in a litany of very smart things that you've ever said <laughs> that I like. Because it's so true. They're just yeah. like, ah, you know. You, you know. like movies from the 80s, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. And you're like, no. We like those <laughs> movies. Because in 90 minutes, 90 minutes, yeah. they tell you a complete fucking story with special effects and high mm-hmm. concept bullshit. Mm-hmm. And the people yeah. seem real. Yeah. Yeah. In this movie, our quote unquote villain has an emotional growth. He has a character arc. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. He, he changes he, his mind. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he realizes the only reason why he was pursuing all of this is to get the love from his father who he, that he never got and his father figure who took him in. Um, and he had to felt like he had to make this a zoological discovery to be loved. Yeah. And he didn't think about how his actions would hurt other people. And when he sees how they hurt other people, he doesn't want to be like that anymore. And he does whatever he has to do to make it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John yeah. Candy grows into a semi-responsible adult. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to take care of the business. I got to grow up. Yeah. You know, he's a guy Wild. who should... One of the best lines. It's so That's what I mean by Candy. It's so... You, you didn't even need to write him jokes. It was just yeah. him. He yeah. drives his Ferrari or whatever it is right into a pallet of groceries <laughs> on a fucking loading dock. Yeah. And he gets out and he goes, who put these groceries here? Who put this produce here? <laughs> and you just, you just laugh because it's like, it, 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 it's such a believable, there are asshole, likable assholes like him in the real world. And yeah. so when he does it, he does, it's just so good. It's so good. In watching this movie, I feel like I need to use my platform right now to make sure that this particular incident, even though it happened in a movie a million years ago, doesn't happen to anybody else. So when she's in the bathroom, in the tub, changing back to a mermaid, and he hears all the commotion, and uh, I, just, I just need to PSA, if you hear your girlfriend in the bathroom is making a lot of noise and, and you want to go in and she says, no, no, she's shy and she's never seemed shy before. She's pooping. OK, so like leave her alone. 
if you hear a lot of noise in the bathroom if you hear the shower on you're like can i join you in there and she's like no it's because the shower is running so you don't hear that she's pooping that's what your girlfriend is doing in the bathroom so leave her alone well in this case she was salting yes. her uh Fin yeah. to turn it back into yeah. legs. Yeah, but just in general, like yeah. leave her alone. If, if you're trying to get in the bathroom and she won't let you in, don't because that's that's what's actually going on. Or she's changing back into a human from a mermaid. Either either way, <laughs> give her her privacy. Yeah. <laughs> Hanks does something here that he doesn't do in the re- all the rest of these movies. But he, at times he's the straight man. Mm-hmm. At times he gets some pretty deeply like dramatic speeches like about himself, his life, what he wants for life, like how he drift he feels, even though he's like relatively successful and a good businessman mm-hmm. and he just there's an emptiness inside and all this sort of stuff. We get a little bit of that high pitched rage that we know from Woody. <laughs> you have the sort of nervous every man that him and Michael Keaton were doing at the time and kind of discount Woody Allen and um but what you get to see is the whole tool, tool kit mm-hmm. that he has on display. Yeah. And again, if for no other reason, ostensibly this is a romantic comedy. Yeah. But they let, there's dramatic, there's actual drama, there's dramatic moments, there's heartfelt moments. They seem like real people. Mm-hmm. There's Daryl Hannah has moments where like, she's just a deeply sympathetic character. You feel for her, you... You know, um, yeah, she's smart. She makes good decisions. She has agency. Um, you know, she there are things that she doesn't want him to know, and uh, just all kind of stuff. You know, and it's 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 just that it's one of the, I don't want to sound like an old guy and say well, they don't make them like they used to, but they, <laughs> they really don't. don't fucking make them like they used yeah. to. They make high concept stuff, but it's usually just really dumb. Yeah, you know, it's not smartly written or it's just a bunch of references there are no jokes it's just references mm-hmm. to other ip yeah like free guy like the joke is i'm deadpool in another series okay that's not a joke <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact <laughs> why should i laugh at that what is this you know and here's a movie where they're like nah, these are like real people and even the whole thing when he's going when, they, when they're at the wedding he, him and freddie are like groomsmen at their buddy's wedding and everybody's asking Tom Hanks where his long-term girlfriend is. He starts off like, oh, she's not feel, she's under the weather. Yeah. You know, they're broken up. She's dumped him. Yeah. Hey, Alan, where's uh, Victoria? Oh, uh, she uh, she is sick uh, and uh, she can't make it. That's too bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, hey! Why didn't I love her, Freddie? Huh? Can you answer me that? Why didn't I love her? I mean, she she had everything. She was she was bright. She was sensitive. She was beautiful. Hey, Alan! Hi. Hi. Uh, where's Victoria? Flu. Uh, bad flu. She's very sick and she can't make it because of the flu. Give her my love, will you? You hmm? bet. Sure. I can't even give her my love, Freddy. I'm telling you, something, something in here is not working. There are worse organs not to be working. Hi, guys. Hey, Bauer. Where's that pretty lady of yours? She's not coming, okay? What, you want your money back? Well... I don't know. Maybe it's all for the best, huh? Hey, Alan. She left me! She moved out and my life's a shambles, okay? That's the news. You want the weather? Anywhere but the first three rows! She's really lighting up on the guy. That's the bride's brother. Because we've all been in awkward situations like that where you got to go to some public function. You're like, oh, where's your sniffing other? And you're like... They dumped me. We're divorced. It's over. We're separated. That's what you want to say, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, 
I guess uh, you know we're not together anymore. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's how it works out. But you want to scream like that. That's a pro. You want to be yeah. like, they're gone. You never see them again. <laughs> so many great little moments like that. And uh, the one weird bit of trivia from this movie. Do you know this? The weirdest bit of trivia. I don't. I don't know. This movie was so popular. That it created a new first name. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I knew this before. Like, I feel, I think I learned this from VH1. <laughs> like from I Love the Yeah, 80s. I think that's where I, yeah. yeah, I probably <laughs> learned it from that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so, so that's as soon as I fire it up, the, the, the scene happens. I think I got a We Love, I Love the 80s mm-hmm. flashback. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. They yeah. created this name. Be- because in the movie, it's part of the joke. He's like, well, you ha- she, she, her, she's got some dolphin name. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he can't pronounce yeah. it. He's like, well, can you have like a human? I don't think he says human, but he's like, uh, you have some kind of a name. And she's like, uh, what should I call myself? She's like, and then I, it's a good line. He's like, well, you should decide. What do you want to be called? Yeah. And they're on Madison and whatever. And, it, and she's like, well, what about Madison? And he's like, Madison's the street. It's not a name. Yeah. Not a first name. And she's like, but I like it. And he's like, okay. And Madison it is. And then a bunch of people saw this movie and are like, we're naming our daughter Madison. Yeah. Now it's, it's <laughs> it straight up a name. The, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it legit created the first name Madison for girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's probably at least two generations of people now named Madison who have no idea they're named <laughs> yeah. after Daryl Hannah playing a mermaid. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Yeah. And to not know something about your own first name is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I imagine that would shake you to the core. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what do you give this at a 10 and where does it rank for you? So I gave this a 7.5 out of 10. This is my number two. It is also my number two. Okay. But I give it an 8 out of 10. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it that much more than you. Half a point more. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So, which very rarely happens. Usually I'm the <laughs> negative one. And yeah. you're like, oh, it was great. I'm I, like, no. I shit. give everything three and a half stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> you, yeah. Between you and Paul, you give everything three and a half. He gives everything two and a half. Two and a half is bad. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm the guy in the middle being like, you're, you're sunshine and he's uh, d- darkness and I'm gray. <laughs> so I'm just waiting for Wayne or Kevin Brackett or whatever persona Wayne's operate under to not be interested in podcasting anymore because I want to create a super team of Paul from the countdown, the lady one from all podcasts, <laughs> screen run. And uh, Jason from Binge Movies. And I can be the third guy who just shows up and just kind of chuckles in the background. <laughs> while the two of you, sunshine and rain, yeah. go at it. And just <laughs> all, all it has to be, this is the whole premise of the show, is I show up. I have a, your most recent letterbox ratings. <laughs> and I just go, make sure it's the same movie. Yeah. And I just go, Lady Juan? Explain yourself. <laughs> Paul, explain yourself. I just sit back and then just let the magic happen. And then I just occasionally stir the pot and then chuckle. You know? 
Very funny story, Paul. <laughs> anyway, how's your sex life? <laughs> That's all I'll do is occasionally. And I'll end every episode by, if everybody just love each other, the world be a better place. <laughs> That'd be it. That's the podcast. That sounds great. I'll subscribe. Five hundred right episodes. It'll be you know, subscribed. You're going to be in it, and it'll be syndicated around the world. Amen. They'll transcribe our podcast and put it in newspapers for the elderly. <laughs> All right, moving on to something that is not wonderful is 1987's Dragnet, which currently has a 50 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's generous. This is the city. Dan Aykroyd works here. Ma'am. He's Sergeant Joe Friday. His partner is Tom Hanks. There's a dress code for detectives in robbery homicide. Section 3-605.10.20.22.24.70.80. You got a lot of repressed feelings. Must be what keeps your hair up. We need to ask you a few questions. Dragnet. Rated PG-13. Dragnet was directed by Tom Mankiewicz. I wonder if he's a mank. Is he in the mank <laughs> dynasty? Oh, Is he probably. coming the mank tree? Uh. <laughs> They're like, ah, I wrote Citizen Kane. What did your grandson write? Dragnet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the TV show? No. 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 The movie that nobody likes. <laughs> With a screenplay by Dan Aykroyd, Alan Zwiebel, and Tom Mankiewicz. It's based on Dragnet by Jack Webb, who I'm pretty sure did roll in his grave. <laughs> This is the triumphal return of Dan Aykroyd, last seen in Ghostbusters, our most recent, recent entry into the vault. If you want to see what else our listeners has decided is worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times, go to letterboxd.com backslash binge movies. Click on the list that says The Vault. It is the triumphant return of Kathleen Freeman, last seen in Blues Brothers 2000. Whoa. Another Dan Aykroyd classic I reviewed many moons ago. Uh, worst sequels ever made, I think. Um, <laughs> it's a triumphant return of Jack O'Halloran, last seen in The Flintstones. And it's a triumphant return of The Griffith Observatory, which is in every movie yeah. we've ever talked about on this podcast. <laughs> this film was released June 26, 1987, with a budget of $20 million. It did make $66.7 million at Ugh. the box office. Somebody was riding high off of Ghostbusters and Tom Hanks. That's what that was. Yeah. By the book, Dick and his California dude partner stumble into a shaggy dog religious sex cult plot in the worst TV show adaptation of all time. And that includes McHale's Navy with Tom Arnold. Part unfunny comedy, part boring procedural topped off with atrocious songs that may or may not be parodies. See that stream at, we're just in time. We have stumbled into a major crime. They got the girl off We're putting this party on ice. But don't you know we really ought to read them their rights? Read them their rights. Read them their rights. Well, I'm here tonight to rap about... Late 80s movies loved mixing and cutting inane dialogue into a bad rap mm -hmm. as the title song. Yeah. Oh, Even... The classic Planes, Trains, and Automobiles does it. And it's terrible. <laughs> the Dragnet theme is iconic. Yeah. Dum, da, dum, dum. They use it in fucking yeah. commercials. It, it, it's, it's, that, 
no one, people who had never seen an episode of Dragnet, especially in 1987, knew yeah. the Dragnet theme. It was zeitgeist. I, I literally forgot that that's the Dragnet theme because I'm a Florida Gators fan and that's what our band plays when the other team commits a penalty. And I... I heard it and I was like, oh, right, that's where that's from. Like, it was just, it's just embedded in the world. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. Whew. So they took it and butchered it. And basically it's unrecognizable. What the fuck? Are, that's your, that is a, they've done the work for you. You would have just hit nostalgia just from playing the yeah. real song. That's it. That's all you had to do. It's all you had to do. Ooh. Give it the orchestral treatment. You know, back when they actually had orchestras doing the, the soundtrack <laughs> on random bad comedies, but have a have a a, like yeah. a modernized full orchestra version of it, and don't touch it. Instead, you have Tom Hanks screaming, screaming an offbeat rap. The first of many mistakes. Over top of a <sighs> chopped and screwed Houston style <laughs> bad, bad. White guy rap. It's worse than the Chicago Bears Super Bowl shuffle. It is fucking terrible. And they 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 play two beats of the real song and then they just get rid of it. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> is it a parody of Dragnet? Or is it a film adaptation? Is it a spiritual sequel? What is this? Why was this made? It's terrible. It's bad. Yeah, it's-, it's so bizarre. There, like, there are things in the movie that are supposed to be jokes, and I didn't laugh a single time. I didn't even chuckle. I don't even think I smiled. I wish I could have seen myself just scowling at the TV the whole time. I was angry. Like, it's, it's. This is all Dan Aykroyd's fault at this point in his career. He can kind of do whatever he wants, and he's like, "I wanna, I wanna write Dragnet, and I'm gonna be in it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that voice the whole time." Just, ugh, it's so tedious. I, I truly didn't know if I was gonna be able to make it. He's not playing Jack Webb, Joe Friday, the right. facts, ma'am, just the facts, the voice, the whole thing. Yeah, he's doing the cadence that everybody yes. knows as Joe Friday, right. right? He's playing the Joe Friday character. Mm-hmm. But he's not Joe Friday. No. He's Joe Friday's nephew. Yeah. And they have his partner yeah. from the real Dragnet, yeah. who's now the captain, only shows up for three scenes. They give him nothing to do. Right. You have one of the real guys from a TV show that was basically created cop shows on yes. television. Yes. That was still on TV in reruns in the 80s. And in the 90s, 90s yeah. people, kn- people knew it's not bizarre that they made a Dragnet movie because it was a relevant property, right? Yeah. What's bizarre is he made almost a parody version of Dragnet, which seems to be making fun of Dragnet, but also wants to be a semi-serious movie about sex cults. Yeah. It's so, it's a sex comedy Mixed with a parody of Dragnet as a sequel to the TV show. Yeah. It is tonally asinine. It's so, it's so humorless and it's also boring. Yeah. How do you make a sex cult boring, it's boring. Dragnet? That's how you make a sex cult boring. This movie, like, it, oh, <laughs> I hated it so much. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is absolutely the worst person to play Joe Friday. 
Yeah. It's his character is here's the thing. Joe Friday was not a grading obnoxious dick to people around him. No. He was a by the book lawman, yeah. right? And I get that by 1980, whatever, it was sort of like, ah, eh, that that show is kind of goofy, right? It's like kind of unintentionally, not campy, but it was so it was so stylized. There's such a stylized beat for beat plot and a stylized way that he spoke and so i get like the idea of like it's kind of silly in retrospect you know 20 yeah. years later isn't that kind of silly then don't make the movie if you think the basic movie yeah. if you think dragnet is stupid don't make a fucking two-hour movie out of it and it's all of two hours yeah. this is not a 90 minute movie no it is two and it just hours. goes nowhere yeah Ugh. The only thing that's remotely interesting is Dabney Coleman, I think, yeah. is doing a Dusty Rhodes impersonation because he sounds just like Dusty Rhodes. I think that's what he's doing, and that's it. Yeah. He's a Hugh Hefner, Larry Flint, Dusty Rhodes mashup. Yeah. Um, that, that's the only interesting part in the entire movie is anytime he's on screen is I was just like, I mean, I don't care what's happening. Doing something. But I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. Yes. About this movie. Okay. I want need you to enlighten me. <laughs> I hear that you're an expert in these kind of things. <laughs> Why is this movie so horny? <sighs> this is one of the horniest movies I have ever seen in my life. This movie is obsessed yeah. with sex. It's... Tom Cruise's entire character is him fucking random other cops. That's it. <laughs> or, or Tom Hanks, I mean. Yeah. It's... He eats sushi and he fucks different blondes on the force. That's it. That's all they write for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I don't. I just. Uh, that. That. That's my summary. Like that sound I just made. It's just like. Whoa. It's. It's so. It's so terrible. It's just terrible in every way. And I. It's like. I. I couldn't even wrap my head around the premise that it's like. He's into this woman and. And the like the whole thing of her being in the sex cult and she was going to be sacrificed because she's a virgin like ooh, and I'm like what is is this I don't understand sex in this world is it like prevalent or is it not because I, I can't I can't tell what's happening I don't I didn't understand the universe that this movie was taking place in. <laughs> <laughs> well Alexandra Paul who plays the virgin Connie Swale yes. which is her name yes. the virgin Connie Swale yeah which to me is mildly funny because I think when you add like the widow so-and-so <laughs> or yeah. the virgin so-and-so, I just funny. find that funny. Yeah. Because people used to do that, yes. you know. It's funny. Oh, the widow Anderson down the street. And it's like, <laughs> ah, she's kind of more, she's more than a widow. She has a first name. Yeah. But that's how people used to refer to other people. You know, the spinster, you know, Wilkerson. And you'd be like, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, that got a chuckle out of me. Just when I kept saying the, the Virgin Connie Swale. Um, but I think Alexandra Paul, who's most famous for Baywatch, she'd later go on and do in the 90s. She's playing some sort of handicapped person mentally. <laughs> like, she's, she doesn't seem like a virgin. She seems like she has a TBI, traumatic brain injury. She seems like she's missing part of a frontal lobe. Yeah. Like, where is your brain sheared in a fence accident? <laughs> Why are you like this? Yeah. Doesn't she seem like there's something wrong with her? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I don't know. I don't think that she's living a, a regular life. I, I think, I think she has assistance. <laughs> like, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so then when like, 
this bear of a middle-aged man, uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd, who's pretending to be Jack Webb, is all like enters into some sexual liaison with her. You just feel like he's taking advantage of her. You feel like you yeah. know he just seems like maybe she doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's weird. I hated it. I think <laughs> Hanks is fine in this movie since we're talking about Tom Hanks. He's really the sidekick. He's, he doesn't. They give him nothing to do. Yeah. Anytime he goes to to Joe Friday Jr., who's the nephew, and is like, "You suck." You're not. It's not funny because you're like, yeah, he does. Yeah. He just sucks. Like yeah. it's not funny that Tom Hanks is upset because you're upset. You feel the way Tom Hanks does. So when Tom Hanks is yelling at him and like, you're an asshole. Yeah. You're like, yeah, he's he's just an asshole. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no payoff. No, my my notes literally say I don't know if I can tolerate almost two hours of Dan Aykroyd doing this voice. It's so tedious. <laughs> also, Tom Hanks calling him out on it the whole time. What are we even doing? That is verbatim my notes. That, yeah, that was my exact thought. Yeah. I was like, it's not funny to write a very obnoxious character. Make him your main protagonist mm-hmm. and have another character who's by default more likable. Yeah. Go, you're a terrible person. Yeah. That's not a joke. No. You're just you're just reminding me how terrible your main character is. Yeah, yeah. If if he was that weird and like uptight by the book monotone like strange and no one ever addressed it at least that's kind of funny like at least that's something yeah if it never comes up uh, it's almost like the brady bunch movie where they're in the 70s tv show and everybody else is in the 90s yeah that was a really funny way of of revamping that show and doing something with it Mm -hmm. so that's a good point if dan Aykroyd was like 1950s 19 early 1960s yeah Jack Webb, Joe Friday, and everybody else was just a, a more realistic modern cop. Yeah. And Tom Hanks was just like a detective and just it never addresses how bizarre he is. Yeah. And he's he's living in Dragnet and everybody else is living in real Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That could potentially be fun. That'd be something. It'd be something. This is nothing. This is it's bizarre. Worse than it's nothing. unfunny. <gasps> and he and Aykroyd have some kind of chemistry. But why bother with Dragnet? Why not just write an original comedy for these two guys to star in? They're, they're, you're right. Dan Aykroyd could have done whatever he wanted to do. He's riding high off of the highest grossing comedy of all time mm-hmm. at this point. And this is what he wanted to do because he loved Dragnet. Like, this is all his fault. Is the Tom Hanks rap at the end of this film directly responsible for the existence of Chet Hanks? Was <laughs> Chet conceived... Immediately after Tom Hanks recorded his vocals. That would explain a lot. It is awful. This is a terrible film. I give it a four out of ten. It's my worst of the week. It sucks. Where do you put it? It's also my worst of the week. I gave it a three out of ten. I can't blame it. It's probably right. It's trash. Um, it's moving on trash. to a movie that... we. We've been in agreement so far. This is where we may diverge. Mm-hmm. <sighs> when you had to do this episode, you said, I'm not a big fan of this film. I don't really care for it. And I was like, what? So we're going to get into it. It's 1988's Big, which currently has a 97% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. And if Lady Wan had her way and could vote on Rotten Tomatoes, It'd probably be a, what, a 55%? We'll find out. 
right now. How much Lady One hates one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time? Tom Hanks. Oh, he's so cute. He is so adorable. Big. Come on, it's fun. It's potently funny and romantic, says People magazine. Maybe laugh, maybe cry. It's great. The New York Times calls Tom Hanks adorable, an absolute oh. delight. How do you how do you feel about me? Sneak previews calls Big the funniest comedy of the year, impossible to resist. I just wanted to take Tom Hanks home with me. Big. Thanks. Rated PG. Big was directed by a woman, Penny Marshall. Uh, <laughs> that was a weird way to say that. Lady Wan is not an ally. <laughs> Ladies. Uh, she calls herself Lady Wan. I'm not so sure. <laughs> feminism is women can make bad movies too. Marvel Studios Eternals. Rated PG 13. Only in theaters November 5th. It was written by. Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg. Uh, I, this is right around the time uh, Steven Spielberg killed Vic Morrow. This is the triumphant return of Robert Loja, last seen in Independence Day. Nuke the sons of bitches. <laughs> it is the triumphant return of serial wife abuser and dead man John Hurd, last seen in Home Alone 2. He played Macaulay Culkin's dad. Who beat Macaulay Culkin more, his real father or his pretend father? <laughs> His cinematography by Barry Sonnenfeld. If for no other reason, you should like it because that's the guy that went on to direct Men in Black. Yeah. Uh, it was released June 3rd, 1988 on a budget of $18 million. It made $151.7 million in the fucking 80s. This movie made a billion dollars, basically. Yeah. Preteen wishes his way into his adult body and has to navigate yuppie adulthood. Kids wish to grow up happens overnight. I just, I have to say, you told me I had to watch this movie. I have to watch a lot of movies because as I said, I'm the understudy. I'm ready at all times. Uh, I was like, I don't like this movie. I don't, I don't care for it. Like, I don't, I'm not into it. I'm not charmed by it. And uh, I, I watched it fresh and it's good. Let's go! My reaction was delayed because I was choking on water because I, I was I am absolutely shocked that you came around I, on bid. I did. I did. I didn't want to. I was unwilling, but it it just it it worked. I know. <laughs> I don't understand how it works because when I think about it, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And then you watch it and it's really it comes down to Penny Marshall and Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. Some kind of magic happened where she directed the shit out of this movie. Yeah. And he acted and it, like if you haven't all you know is the gif of the piano thing and you haven't watched it tom hanks acts his fucking ass off here oh, yeah like it's he somehow seems like a child in a grown man's body and when he's scared in the hotel oh, by himself he's crying in the hotel and crying it's so and, sad and he wants his mom yeah it's so fucking sad. Yeah. And you're like, it's preposterous, but he does it. You yeah. believe. He, he doesn't seem like an adult acting like a child. No. He seems like a child acting like an adult to try to get through life. Mm -hmm. It's I don't know how he did it. I really don't know how he did it. And it doesn't come off cartoony. No. The rapport he has with the real kid, yeah. the, his, his childhood friend. They seem like real kids together. It's weird, but it works. It just does. And it's like, 
you know, is Tom Hanks a good actor? Is he not a good actor? I, I, I was kind of going back and forth on his 80s run. I'm like, eh, because he's got like some good moments in Splash, and then he's just kind of okay in Dragnet. I think that's more of an issue of the material. Yeah. He is so good in this movie. Yeah. That it, you, I was so torn by the end of it of, do I want him to stay an adult or do I want him to go back home? And when he finally at the very end, he just tells her, like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And I was you're just he sounds like a kid. Yeah. You know, and it's it's he's just like it's so earnest and heartfelt. He's just like, I'm I'm scared. I just want to go home. I'm really scared. I just want to go home to my my parents. I want to go home to my family. I miss them. Yeah. You know, and it's like. And even though it's essentially statutory rape, not voluntarily, she thinks he's an adult. She fucked a child. <laughs> mentally, he's at least a child, so that's got to be illegal on some level, right? He's mentally incompetent <laughs> under the law because he's a child. At the same time, it's like heartbreaking for her because she's basically uh, met the love of her life and he's 10 years old. <laughs> and he transforms in front of her eyes mm-hmm. into a child. Mm-hmm. It's, that's... That woman's fucked up in the head oh, for the rest of her life. That's that for her. She should not work She's at a destroyed, toy company anymore. Right? <laughs> like, no. No, she should not be allowed around children. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, she's fucked in the head for the rest of her life. Yeah. Because she'll. Ne- that's not like a normal occurrence where, well, I fell in love with a guy who worked at my company. It turned out he had been magically turned into an adult. <laughs> she'll never be able to tell that story. She's going to have to go back to their workplace. They're going to be like, where's Josh? Yeah. Wh- you went after where's him. Where's the VP? Like, her life is ruined. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to think she murdered him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to be like, you killed Josh. You were one in his spot. <laughs> Okay, let's let's. I, I didn't. This even even occur to me. Let's frame this out for a second. <laughs> what we know about her is that her reputation within the company is that she basically jumps into bed with people to advance her career. Yes. Whether that's true or not, that is the perception of her. Yeah, and whether it's true or not, and, she has slept <clears throat> with at least five people that she works with. So whether she, yeah, yeah. she really she liked them admits or not, it. yeah, yeah, that's that's a fact. If that's the case, and then the new hotshot guy who is apparently going to be like the heir to the throne, the owner of the company, Mm -hmm. who has all these amazing ideas, and who's unveiling this ingenious idea, and then suddenly disappears, and she goes after him, she comes back to work he's never seen again. In the 80s, when you couldn't like do a, a, a Google search for the guy and find out he didn't exist, <laughs> there's a really good chance she's going to jail for his murder and disappearance. Yeah. She's at least investigated. The cops are going to show up. Because that, that old man, Robert Loja, loved Josh. Mm-hmm. That was, he was like a son to him. So he's going to like, we're bringing investigators in yeah. here. Somebody killed my protege. Yeah. It, it's not going to be and good for her. she's going to be investigated, and John Hurd's going to be investigated. Yeah. Because John Hurd was, was such an asshole to him that somebody's going to go down for murder for this. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even deal with that at all. No. <laughs> and also, how does Josh explain where he's been to Mercedes Rule, who plays his mom, and where does the dad go? The dad's never seen again no. after the first scene. No. He's just he he exists in the home so that Josh has clothes to put on when he transforms. Pretty much, 
yeah. we never see him again. And I, I truly had forgotten the entire subplot where Josh's mom is just like depressed and thinks her son has been kidnapped. She thinks kidnapped. her son has been kidnapped and, by a weird man. Yeah. And he's just like, her life is ruined. Like she's just distraught. <laughs> For months. For months. Yeah. He's, yeah. Like I forgot. I truly forgot that she like has weird phone calls with who she thinks is her son's captor. <laughs> yeah. Like none of this sounds like, like this should be good. <laughs> she, yeah, no. And she's like, give me back my son. Yeah. Like Mel Gibson and Ransom. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, we're, he's, fine. he's fine. He's a good boy. He's okay. He's having a good time. He's all right. Like, <laughs> what does she think happened to Josh while he's been away? Correct. And Correct. Like, yeah. So she's going to put Josh in extensive therapy. Which he needs because he has been through some stuff. But if he goes to his therapist <laughs> and goes, no, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, taken and molested. Yeah. Not technically. Yeah. No. By a grown man. I was the grown man. Yeah. And I f***ed a hot VP of the toy company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Josh gets like, institutionalized. deranged. Yeah. Or at that point, they're going to think she kidnapped him. They're going to find the real woman mm -hmm. and be like, you brainwashed this kid. You convinced him he was a grown man. <laughs> yeah. And you f***ed him. Yeah. Yeah. You stole his identity. To try to get ahead in the company, you created a fake Josh. You yeah. and your uh, unjohn Doe co-conspirator mm -hmm. did this. Yeah, and you're gonna be held accountable because you this kid. Yeah, yeah. Like th there's yeah. enough people who saw grown Josh at the toy company that they could put together a composite of him, and then the mom's gonna be like, "Yes, that's the man who was in my house." Yeah, and now that's they're the looking for son. this guy. Yeah. The only problem is going to be when the investigation goes on long enough that Josh grows up and looks like that. And then they're going to be like, wait a second, what happened here? Well, that's I almost went like a I almost went like a Super Bowl commercial <laughs> where it's just grown. It's, he's too old now, but yeah. you could de-age him. Disney de-age him to make him look like make Tom Hanks look like he did in big. Mm -hmm. But modern day Mercedes rule. And he comes home for the holidays, and she's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, and he's like, I told yeah. you. <laughs> you just have I to told wait. you. Yeah. Yeah. I told you it was me. It was Zoltar. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> she's like, I really want that. I really want, like, D.H. Tom Hanks, modern-day Mercedes rule, and just, like, the reveal where she's, like, looking at him and goes, Cause she would never forget no, that guy's face. Never. Well, so when he, yeah, that's the question. Yeah, you're right. When he starts to look like that guy, mm -hmm. what the fuck does that do to the mom? <laughs> the implications of this film. <laughs> would you assume that it was like time travel or something? I mean, is that more, is time travel more plausible than growing up on a wish? Time travel is pseudoscientific. So let, let's say I had, let's say, let's say, let's say you and I had a son. Okay. For, for purposes. Okay. Yeah. And our 10 year old son goes to bed one day. And the next day you're at home feeding our young daughter. 
and trying to get the boy to school before we have to go to work or whatever. I'm already I'm already out of the house with my briefcase going to the video store. Mm-hmm. I gotta go to work, Lady Juan. I'm going. <laughs> da, 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 I got to sell videotapes, and I mean, I'm never seen again. Yeah. <laughs> <And> then, <it's> <laughs> Uh, no reaction to my child disappearing. I'm not even home when the cops are there. Um, <clears throat> and you hear a big thump upstairs. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a full-size grown man appears and starts going, Mom, Mom, I need help. Mom, I'm scared. And you're, you're like, oh, my God, get out of here. You chase him out with a butcher knife. And then you think, like, where's my son? What do you do with my boy? And then 25 years later, he comes home from a semester at college. You haven't seen him in a while. And he looks just like an adult, the, the guy from 25 years previous. What would your assumption be? Oh, I mean, I, th- I think back to the future style, I Jennifer pass out. I just am like, it's him. And then that's it. Like, <laughs> just, that's it. Arms across my chest and yeah. I'm going down. Like, there's no way. Like, no. That would, it would blow your mind. The Mercedes Rule's mom character, did she at one point die of a heart attack when her son came home from college because she was re-triggered in fright by seeing, did she think that guy was back in her house and hadn't aged? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, there's no way that she comes through that event without either uh, a cardiac incident or just completely disassociating from reality and going into a catatonic state, and that's the end of her. <laughs> like, So Josh is mentally fucked. Yes. His mom is mentally fucked. Totally. His love is mentally fucked. Yeah. The owner of the company who took him in as a son is mentally fucked. Everybody's life is worse because of Zoltar. Even though Zoltar fixes it. Here's the other thing. If, they, if his buddy did not track that machine down, he's stuck. Yeah. I mean, that kid was dedicated. He was, like, determined to fix it. And uh, if it's not, he's the hero of the movie. Like, the best No, friend. he really he's is. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. He's the only one looking out for, for Josh. Like... And he, he's even, like, consoling the mom. Like, yeah, best friend. He yeah, said. because he knows that he's okay. Yeah. If anything, his life is kind of better. He's got a whole giant flat yeah. in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah, he's rich. <laughs> yeah, there's just a toy company, basically a toy factory, that, which is just, it works. It's great. Yeah. He's like, he's so fucking charming when he brings her in and he's like, you want something to drink? You want a soda or something? And she's like, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. He's like, oh, this is really great. I rigged it up so you don't have to pay for anything. You can have as much soda as you want. And it's exactly what a kid, especially an 80s kid, yeah. would be like. Oh, yeah. He is spot on. The scene with him in the building where he's like, I don't get it. <laughs> and, yeah. like, what you, and he's like, what do you don't get, Josh? And he's like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. What? What don't you get, Josh? Well... There's a million robots that turn into something. And this is a building that turns into a robot. What's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into, into something, like a, like a bug or something? A bug? Yeah. Like a big prehistoric insect with maybe like giant claws that could pick up a car and, and crush it like that. <laughs> a prehistoric transformer? Interesting. 
gentlemen, it, so the robot turns into a bug. Ah, uh, gentlemen, oh, listen, listen to it. Just got a very good idea here. The robot turns into a bug. Uh, this yeah, is a great yeah. idea. Someone's well, a water bug. Yeah. Different sizes and things. And, and we can do ladybugs. You can have them wreck building. Transformers for girls. A building this is an earth bug. It's got all kinds of possibilities. This doesn't just happen. This guy just this doesn't happen. You just don't. He doesn't just come to a meeting and say bugs. Well done, Josh. Well done. It's kind of believable that the owner of a toy company, a white guy who's used to just making wild decisions in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? A rich white guy, would be like, this weirdo in the mailroom is tapped into the imagination and the heart of children. Yeah. So our sales are very good. We're turning out these shit products that kids aren't responding to. We've lost the magic. This guy's got it. I'm going to put him in a position to get this company back up off its ass. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even as bizarre as it is that overnight he becomes like a VP of a toy company, it kind of works. It, yeah. And this is also in an era of the 80s where you, you basically didn't have, you, if you could read, somebody would give you a job. Yeah. And you could make a living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you didn't need a, like, uh, oh, you went to school. What does he say? Like, I went to Brown or something? Uh, oh, you're a Brown it's like, man. It's called George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh GW. You're... Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he's just yeah. like, oh, well, I mean, that's the name of his school. That's the name of like his middle school. Yeah. George Washington Middle School. <laughs> in the scene when he goes back to the middle school in hiding in sweatpants. And that kid's reaction, he seems genuinely scared, then genuinely freaked out, then genuinely mystified, and then genuinely like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> My friend is now an adult. We can get beer and porno and cigarettes. And we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's, it, it's just crazy how it shouldn't work at any level. And that there's a logic to it. The fact that we even still flash back to the mom and spend any time dealing with what this would do to her mm -hmm. in a comedy. Yeah. Normal movies, if they cut back to her, it'd be for a gag. Yeah. It wouldn't be for her, like, sad, thinking her son's butchered. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, what a lovely film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it had the chance of being no good because Tom Hanks was about the eighth guy they wanted for this. Wow. And I'm going to go down the list of oh, the no. people that they wanted. Originally, it was supposed to be Harrison Ford. Spielberg, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg was going to direct it because it's his wife who came up with the idea. Uh -huh. And he was attached to direct with Harrison Ford <laughs> as Josh. Harrison Ford does not have childlike innocence. <laughs> <laughs> never, never did. I imagine he was like an ordinary 13 year old too. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. You knew what you were doing. Now I do. This is my place. Get out. Mohan, Temigru, Bolianu. I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. Then wow. it was supposed to be Kevin Costner. Whoa. Then Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it gets worse. Then Warren Beatty. No. <laughs> No. Then Dennis Quaid. Oh, boy. Then Albert Brooks. <laughs> then John Travolta, P. 
pitched himself to the studio as the guy, and the studio was like, we don't want you. Yeah, no. Because his career was in the toilet. Wow. Then they wanted Sean Penn. Oh. Who was almost still a child, so that wouldn't worked at all. That would just would have been really fucking weird. Yeah. Oh. I think by this point, he was like, Beating up photographers and dating Madonna, like this, he's not going to be Josh from from no. New Jersey. No, Hoboken. <laughs> uh, then Andy Garcia. <laughs> no. Before they got to Hanks, they approached Gary Busey, <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He didn't understand the script. <laughs> And what they said, what they said was, they thought that they thought. This is the quote: They thought that he could maybe pull off the child aspects, but he wouldn't be believable as an adult. <laughs> That's so hurtful. <laughs> so they they were like, eh, maybe Gary doesn't work because he can't understand the script. Wait, I'm a man, but I'm a child. He couldn't figure it out. This movie would be terrifying if this was Gary Busey. Oh, it'd be a nightmare. So they actually went so far as to cast Robert De Niro. What? He was in pre-production on this. They were making this movie with Robert De Niro. What the hell? Then he had to drop out, and then he was substituted by Tom Hanks oh, the last minute. Thank God. Let's get something straight here. I spent 14 years in an eight by nine cell surrounded by people who were less than human. My mission in that time was to become more than human. You see? Granddaddy used to handle snakes in church. Granny drank strychnine. I guess you could say I had a leg up, genetically speaking. That's movie magic, because if it's anybody else, this movie does not work. It, oh, oh, my God. Robert De Niro as Josh in Big is creepy. Gary Busey, creepy. Andy Garcia, creepy. <laughs> Sean Penn, creepy. John Travolta, creepy. Mm -hmm. Albert Brooks, creepy. Dennis Quaid, creepy. Warren Beatty, <laughs> real creepy. Steve Gutenberg. Maybe not creepy, but awful. Yeah. Kevin Costner, awful. The, like, all of this would have been bad. Harrison Ford, creepy and awful. <sighs> we avoided a disaster. A disaster. And there's another pitfall they, they avoided. And this wasn't in the notes. This was just my thinking. Uh-huh. A dumber movie. We would have spent more time with Josh in middle school, and then you would have seen his office life reflect mm. his life in middle school. And it would be about how even the workplace is just like middle school with clicks and blah, 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 blah. They skip all that. Yeah. They, 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 they hint at it. Like, obviously, John Hurd's a bully. We don't see Josh get bullied as a kid. Right. We don't, we don't really involve in his life all that much as a kid. It just kind of happens, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an excellent decision. I think, that's, I think this is excellently directed. I think, like I said at the beginning, somehow Marshall and Hanks between the two of them and probably parts of the screenplay, they just, they just cracked on magic because this movie doesn't work unless it's Hanks at this time in his career yeah. and Penny Marshall at this time in her career. Yeah. And somehow it all comes together and it's such a delightful, heartwarming, tear-jerking, funny, thoughtful 
lovely film, mm-hmm. the likes of which no one will ever be able to make again. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. Yeah. I, I I know that there's a Mandela effect with this movie too, where people remember Elizabeth Perkins becoming little and joining him in his childhood. What? I think where that comes from is that he asked her, he says, you could come with me. Maybe you can make a wish and you could come with me. Yeah. And she's like, I, it was middle school was hard enough the first time. Yeah. I can't do it again. Yeah. Like I'm an adult. I can't go back. And I think people then imagine the scenario of like, what if she did? Yeah. What if she did go back with him? But that's, I don't remember any deleted scenes or a previous version of the ending where she becomes small. I always remember him becoming little and her in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. The reason why I wasn't excited to watch it is because when you describe it, it sounds insane. Like I was like, I was prepared to be cynical about this movie. It's, you know, a white dude succeeding in the corporate world with no qualifications. It's a grown woman having sex with a child in a man's body. Like it is a family destroyed by thinking their kid was kidnapped. It is everything sounds awful, but it is sweet (laughs) and sentimental and it just has a good heart. Yeah. It works. It shouldn't. It has yes. absolutely no business working, but it works. Oh, the the scene where she's like, well, how do you feel about me? And it, like you sit for a second because you're like, oh, like they're going to have it. They're going to have an issue. And he's just like, he just starts like giggling and he just grabs her. And you're like, oh, my God, that's the best answer. <laughs> like, it's just so perfect. Like, it, oh, it's so sweet. Well, he starts, he kind of, he looks away. Yeah, he looks and at her she's like, like nervous. Like, yeah, oh, here we go again. He grabs a comic book and starts hitting it. Yeah. He like, hits her with it. Yeah. Yeah, he hits her with it. Yeah. He hits her with it. And then he just start laughing and like, rolling around. Yeah. It is so awesome. It's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. It's actual human fucking reaction. Yeah. Oh. It's so cute. Yeah. 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 So talk about Whiplash. Where does this rank for you? Because we got to get on to the next movie. Uh, this this is obviously my number one of the week. I, I gave it an eight and a half out of ten. This whole thing was worth it just for the fact that you came around <laughs> finally on Big. Yeah. A movie that neither one of us are going to come around on and anytime soon is 1988's Punchline which currently has a well-deserved 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. When it comes to comedy, comedians are the toughest audience of all. Tom and Sally were incredible. It was wonderful. He's magic inside. I should get another Academy Award for this. A lot of people are going to go see it more than once. I know I will. It had everything. Sally Field, Tom Hanks. Pay the money to see this film. Come on! Right! Punchline. Rated R. Now playing at select theaters. Check newspapers for showtimes. Punchline was directed and written by David Seltzer. It is the triumphant return of Sally Field, who was last seen as Tom Hanks' mother (laughs) in Gump. Uh, She is 10 years older than him. I did Google that. So their age gap here is more appropriate in this movie. She's supposed to be like 10 years older than him. It doesn't make sense in Gump. It is the triumphant return of John Goodman who's the only one giving a decent performance in this movie. (laughs) Uh, And last seen in the Flintstones. It was released October 7th, 1988, on a budget of $15 million. It only made $21 million in U.S. and Canada. A self-loathing comic and a stay-at-home wannabe make their way through the disappointing world of stand-up comedy and the frustrations of their own lives. A depressing look at the way climbing the comedy ranks used to work. 
the issue with any movie about stand-up comedy is that the jokes in the movie have to be funny. Yeah. No, I'm, there's never been a good stand-up movie. Never. The closest is in Z's and Sorry yeah. and Funny People being Randy. <laughs> Eight A's. I was thinking about this the other day. You know what must be crazy? Getting your dick sucked in an igloo. High supposed to stay hard when it's so calm. It'd be like Eskimo Randy, Eskimo Randy, Eskimo version of Randy. Can I give you a blowjob? I'd be like, no, give me a blanket, my dick's calm. The joke was that he wasn't funny. Yeah. It's really hard to write material that's supposed to be funny and we're watching a crowd. We watch a crowd watch somebody else. Yeah. You're too far removed from the comedy, so those movies never work. And there's way too much time in this two-hour movie that's just watching their sets. <sighs> the closest they get to being funny is when Tom Hanks is working the hospital crowd. That seems real because he's just. It, seem, it almost seems like Tom Hanks is just riffing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like uh, it, it. It feels more natural, and it, it so therefore. And it's not actual stand-up, so it feels yeah. more humorous. But the moment they slap anybody on that stage, none Awful. of the jokes are funny, including real comedians they brought in. Yeah, yeah. and like It sucks. The scene where they're like, oh, he's killing it. I was like, he's doing an offensive Japanese accent, and none of these are good jokes. I was like, that was him killing it? Like, that was... That was him bringing the house down like oh god this is going to be an awful movie and that really is what a lot of the comedy was it was offensive caricatures gender stereotypes racist jokes it was just acceptable it was that was what comedy was you know even even if you were even if you were asian you were telling asian jokes and doing offensive voices and that's just so that part was like kind of believable Oh, it's believable, but not funny. I was like, this. Not funny. If this is the peak of comedy that I will be seeing in this movie, I was like, oh no. (laughs) I am in for a miserable evening. Like, knowing that that was supposed to be the funniest thing I was going to see. What do you make of the dynamic between Sally Field and John Goodman until he turns around? Honestly, if their gender roles were reversed, like, the comedian character would be the bad guy. And it would be like the sad wife. Yes. And you'd feel bad for the the spouse at home. Like that's how it would be. But because he's like a big dude and she's cute little Sally Field, you're supposed to be like, oh, he just doesn't understand her. Poor Sally Field. She's unsat- She's dissatisfied with her life and nobody understands her and her husband doesn't care. And it's like, well, no, like she has a role and a responsibility. And if she's interested in shifting that, they need to have a conversation and she needs to be open with him about what she wants to do and involve him in it. You can't just be like, well, I'm doing whatever I want to do. That's not how relationships work. You watch our kids that's like so somebody's got to be here with these kids and we can't afford a babysitter yeah you're taking money we don't have and getting nothing for it yeah it was sad there's so much sadness everybody made me sad and the kids are sad and the kids are like trying to be supportive and like mommy i'll write jokes for you and she's kind of shitty to her kids Mm because she just hates her life yeah yeah. And then the big turning point is her realizing she doesn't hate her life. She actually does love her husband and her mm-hmm. kids. And then she goes home to them and they're like, we miss you. Where are you? And he's, John Goodman's fucking sad. And it was like, where are you? I just want my wife back. And then she's like, oh, well, you can come see me 
perform, and then he goes, he thinks she's funny, and he supports her. Yeah. Why didn't you just have this conversation at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. It's, ugh. Ah, that's ugh. all he wanted. Yeah. Just invite me to your shows. Yeah. We'll make it work. Nope. She's too busy making out with Tom Hanks in the back of a cab. And that's the biggest part that does not work in this movie. Yeah. They spend all of, what, two days together? Yeah. And Tom Hanks all of a sudden wants to be the father of her children and wants to marry her? Bizarre. Bizarre. Like, Kent is not even responsible for his own life, but it's like, yeah, no, I'll take on all the responsibility that I am not prepared for. Like. What? It may, why is why is he suddenly in love with her? I I I guess because she got a haircut that looked exactly like his, and so he saw himself in her. <laughs> I think he fell in love with her before the haircut. Yeah, it was though. so bad. No, it was. It, they spent a day together, and and then he helped her be a little bit funnier. Yeah, and a little bit. Then funnier. he saw her on. St- yeah, he saw her on stage, and was like, "Ooh, now I'm in love with this woman." It was just weird. Didn't make sense. Well, the problem I had with their relationship was like when she says to him, she's like, what do you want from me? And like, I'm sitting there watching him like he wants you to be his mom. And I don't think the movie knew that, that like Stephen wanted a mom like Lila is a mom. And like her her obstacle to the quote unquote life she wants is her role as mom. That's the thing that's in the way. And so like she's just radiating mom everywhere she goes. And Steven needs a mom. Yeah. And so that's what he's after. But I'm like, I don't think the movie is aware that that is what he needs and what he wants. And I don't think that he's going to realize it because the people who made the movie didn't realize it. That's that's what he was after. He wasn't in love with Bingo. her. He just wanted somebody to take care of him because his life's a mess. And she was clearly capable of taking care of other people's lives. That's it. It was so sad. Had they actually delved, had they delved into that and, and like, you know, she's trying to escape motherhood and taking care of other people's lives, then even the comedy world, that's what people still expect of her. Yeah. And it's also, you know, she's radiating too much momness to necessarily be funny. And so she has to like dial that down and tap into a different version of herself to find the, refine the funny in her. And, mm. but that's why he's attracted to her and it's much. Yeah, if they had understood that those were the <laughs> dynamics in play, the people who wrote the movie, yeah. it would have been a much more interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could yeah. have explored... It's just very strange. Yeah, you know. could have explored somebody, you know, not just resenting their identity, but learning how to become a multifaceted person and to not be defined by the role as mother. And you could have had him learn to grow up and that you, you're a, an adult man. You can't have a mommy take care of you. You have to be your own parent. If, if your parents don't give you what you need, you have to parent yourself. And like two people could have realized something and still had like bits of stand up in the middle of that movie. And instead, it's just everybody's life is sad. And at the end, she wins the chance to go on The Tonight Show, basically, yeah. more or less yeah. or whatever. And then um, she's like, nah, I don't want it. I want to be a comedian, but I'll, I'll get there again someday. No, you no, won't. No, you won't. No. No. And then she's like, so by default, it's Tom Hanks. And it's like, that, honestly, the, where it ends is like, that's probably not the best thing for him, that he won. No, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't ready for something like that. And she needed something like that to at least get her to the point where she could financially continue to do the job. He she desperately needed that and he was not ready for it and realistically probably would have gotten another chance at it. But she's not going to get another chance at it. That was that. That was her one and only shot. 
and he's going to have a million and it sucks. It's the wrong, it's the wrong ending. It's the wrong entire plot. It's just wrong. Movie sucks. Yeah. I give it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, it's, it's my second worst of the week. Yeah. I, I gave it a five out of 10. It is my second worst of the week. <laughs> Every once in a while, I like to go back and pull out something one of the real critics had to say. So here is what Roger Ebert had to say about this movie. Punchline, a pathetic movie into which a great deal of energy and talent has disappeared. (laughs) That's wonderful. He's not wrong. No. (laughs) A pathetic, a pathetic movie. (laughs) Pathetic is one of my all-time great insults. It's because it's just it, this is a truly pathetic film. Yeah, <laughs> it stinks. It stinks. Now uh, we've lined up all the way through, which means mm-hmm. we are going to talk about our third, our yeah. middling film of the week, <laughs> which is the much beloved and right now rebooted. Yes, 1989 family <laughs> question mark classic. Turner and Hooch, which has a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. From Touchstone Pictures, Tom Hanks had the perfect life. Then Hooch came along. No, stop! Now his perfect life is a perfect disaster. Don't eat the car! Turner and Hooch. Here's an ashtray. Turner and Hooch was directed by Roger Spottiswood, which is as British of a name as I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> the screenplay by David Shirak. Now think about this. This is a movie about a dog who is a witness to a murder and a cop. This thing has eight people on the screenplay. It has Dennis Shirak, Michael Blogdet, Daniel, Daniel Petrie Jr., Jim Cash, Jack Epps Jr. How many white guys does it take to write a dog plot? <laughs> Five, six, seven. This is the triumphant return of Reginald Vell Johnson, once again playing a cop. <laughs> it was released July 28th, 1989 on a budget of 13 million dollars. It made 71.1 million. An uptight investigator inherits a massive mess-making dog who is the only witness in a small town murder. Hanks yells as much as Hooch drools while they solve a crime and bed a vet. This is a sitcom. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, they the got plot that. is a sitcom yeah. plot. Yeah. Right? Anal retentive, perfectionistic, mm-hmm. OCD, small town investigator is on his way for the big city to be a big hotshot cop. Yeah. And the local town junkyard, whatever the fuck that <laughs> place was, Wharf. Yeah. Random Wharf dog uh, who is known as a menace to the community. It was a giant slobbering mess and covered in axle grease and and piss and shit (laughs) hates him and they hate each other but he becomes the sole witness to a crime (laughs) (laughs) and so nobody else will take the dog in and so he has to take the the dog in that and then mean obviously he's going to destroy the anal retentive guy's very nice home uh and stereo system and everything doing tens of that well actually it was the 80s, so all that stuff was probably hundreds of dollars yeah. <laughs> worth of damage because you could live on $19,000 a year. So that luxurious stereo system probably cost all of $500. Um, I, it, 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 that's all the re- movie really is. 
everybody note here is Tom Hanks had two modes in the 80s. Screaming and being a nonchalant smartass. And in this movie, it's both, but it's mostly screaming. Yeah. He's a more likable Bill Murray in the 80s, basically, is a lot of what Tom Hanks is doing. Um, yeah. The best option is when there's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. A little bit, yeah. But this is a lot of screaming. So <laughs> my here's the thing. I watched this movie first out of the five that we've talked about today. I watched oh this. Boy. I watched this first and I left my notes exactly as is because I just stream of consciousness like type notes while I'm watching. And then I come back yeah. later and see like, is there did I actually have an interesting thought to keep? That's a little insight into how I do this amazing thing that I do. And my <laughs> <laughs> my notes are and I left them as is. Tom Hanks is adorable when he yells. Okay, this might be too much yelling. That was like right at the beginning of my notes. It's like the first 15 minutes in the movie is like, oh, this is so cute. Okay, that's this is too much. And then I, I didn't know what I had ahead of me with like continued screaming in other movies that we've talked about today. But this is the most screaming. You're 100% right. When it's peppered in. Yeah, it's so cute. And appropriate. It's cute. Yeah. It's funny. It's fine. Yeah. Him yelling at that guy at the wedding yeah. splash <laughs> funny. after five other people yeah. have passed by is funny and appropriate. Yeah. Him screaming his entire way through this movie is very taxing. Oh, yeah. The two best parts of this movie are the fact that Craig T. Nelson deviates so heavily from the standard screaming captain trope of the time. Mm-hmm. He's actually like very understanding. He's like, okay, well, investigate it, boys. And okay, well, well go ahead. Well, it sounds like a wild idea, but you might be onto something. You should probably look into that. Yeah. And like, so they, it was almost like they wrote him to be the opposite of every 80s movie captain. Mm-hmm. And then he just turns out to be the villain, which is kind of clever, yeah. but not really. But doesn't exactly make sense, but they did such a good job making him not the cliche captain. Yeah. That for him to be a villain at the end was uh, an attempt at cleverness. The star of this movie is Hooch, a.k.a. Beasley, who yeah. has long since died. Oh. But, but he's the best part of the movie, yeah. and he's an extremely well-trained dog. Yeah. They got this guy jumping off his shit. I don't know that you can make this movie now the way they did. They got this dog, a very large dog, mm-hmm. really jumping from high heights and doing stunts and jumping yeah. through sugar glass and all kind of crazy. And somehow, like, on cue, destroying stereo equipment. Like, I don't know how. Grabbing Tom Hanks by the throat. Yeah. Like, if that dog wanted to kill anything, anybody, he could have. Yeah. And you know he just had to be like the biggest baby in the world and just was doing it for treats. And that is all you can think about when you're watching the movie is. And, you know, sometimes with dogs, you can kind of tell they're kind of looking off camera to whoever's actually directing them. This dog does not break eye line. This dog is good. This dog. I know. I know that sounds silly. No, it's true. But he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very good boy. Yeah. (laughs) He was a very. Beasley was a good boy. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and you just you, I just wish he wasn't dead so I could rub his belly <laughs> then you want to rub his belly at some point you're just like oh I just want to rub this guy's belly yeah he was, he was exactly like you said he was a very good boy like yeah. I just wanted to cuddle him and they exploited him to make this movie with Tom Hanks yeah, yeah. 
It's put him to work. Uh, do you know that in the reboot they killed Tom Hanks's character? No. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, the guy fair from play. Uh, Drake and Josh. Yeah. Which one is it The one that's in the... One's a sex offender in Cleveland and the other one is a... Josh is, uh, is the new uh, Turner. Okay. Yeah. Josh Bell, is that his name? Yeah. Okay. Josh Wait, Bell is Tom Hanks' son. Drake Bell yeah. and Josh... Josh. I don't know, Josh. Schwartz, Josh Schwartzman? <laughs> What's his jo- name? What the fuck is Josh's name? Hold on. Peck. Josh Peck. I didn't look it up. I Josh just, Peck. I just knew it. Josh Peck is Tom Hanks' son, and Tom Hanks died horribly. So, <laughs> and he's inherited these hooch, I, I guess, great-grandchildren at this point. Because Hooch Jr. at the end of this movie is not with us. No, like, that's a big dog. They don't, they don't live that long. I feel like we got to be four generations deep on Hooch. <laughs> that's the part that doesn't make any sense. Like, if there's ever a time just to reboot it and just basically make him Tom Hanks, that was the time to be like, well, I'm his son, and he died when I was a boy in the line of duty. It was, like, it was a wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Hooch dies. Yeah. Tom Hanks is now dead. He died in the line of duty. This is a sad way to start your funny yeah. dog comedy. Yeah. Like, and this is Hooch's great, 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 great grandson, who I don't like. You grew up with these dogs. Yeah. Oh, what a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Why don't they just the remake it? Sense. Like, why? Just remake it. You don't even acknowledge that the movie existed other than the fact Correct. that you're doing it again. Like, what? Correct. why would you do? That's nonsense. That's they dragnetted Turner and Hooch. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> I, again, I guess, like, that's what you get. I wish I didn't know that. Because that's what they do. They can't do anything without saying... Oh, you've seen Turner and Hooch, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know the guy you like, Tom Hanks? He's dead. Yeah. Tune in. And you're like, what? Yeah. Well, the reason why he's dead is because they couldn't get him to make an appearance in the show. Because you know they pitched it to him first. Well, you don't want to do it, so you're dead. So you can't be in it even if you wanted to. And Tom Hanks is like, why would I want to be in this? Like, okay, whatever. Like, Tom Hanks doesn't care. Tom Hanks third agent not even his main agent or his main agent's personal assistant his agent's agent's agent was like mr hanks is not interested and hung up the phone they're like "Uh, i'll show them tom hanks doesn't even know he was offered (laughs) turn but do you think that colin hanks is upset see that's that's another great example right is why not just cast colin hanks what is he doing cost cast colin hanks as tom hanks son yeah in Turner and Hooch. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> now, this wouldn't work, and it's a stupid idea, but you can't really gender flop. I mean, they, uh, they, it, they might have gender flopped, and Hooch might be a female dog. That mm-hmm. sounds like a hack idea they would have done as yeah, well. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> this time, Hooch is a girl. Yeah. It's different. Uh, it's inclusive. Representation. <laughs> <laughs> We hit our quota. Um, <laughs> this makes no sense. It's a terrible idea. But I think it would be better if Josh Bell, right? Is that his name? Josh Peck. Drake Bell? Josh Bell. <laughs> Josh Peck. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be better if Josh Peck were the sloppy one. <laughs> the dog has to clean up after him. <laughs> the dog is bathing him. <laughs> Doing his laundry, 
picking up the line because then the dog gets to do stunts that aren't life risking. Yeah. That would be better. All I have to do is pick up a shirt and carry it to a laundry bin. Yeah. Right. Dog's just constantly cleaning up behind him. Sweeping. Make make Josh Peck fly off a building and go through plate glass. Yeah. <laughs> they should uh, roll reverse it. Yeah. Wow. Josh Peck should bite Hooch in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> Hooch is a veteran detective on the Nantucket police inspe- inspectors who has to inherit the wayward son of his great-great-great-godfather, Tom Hanks, and is like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> you know, right? Like, this fuck-up yeah. is coming back to town. I got to watch him because he's a witness in yeah. a murder. Josh Peck witnessed a murder. Yeah. Sh- <laughs> yeah, and the dog has to take care of him. It's only a halfway stupid idea because yeah. the dog is assigned to him as a protect. He's in protective custody. So the, the hooch heir is assigned to him as his guard dog, but he can't stand living with Josh Peck because Josh Peck is a slob. <laughs> as stupid as that is, don't you can imagine that version of the show. Oh, 100%. In your mind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's still Turner and Hooch. It's just that they've swapped roles, and Hooch is the respectable one. <laughs> and a woman. Yes. And a woman. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, are, is there a scene? Well, neither, neither one of us have seen the reboot. No. Is there a scene in the actual reboot, not the one that we've just rewritten, <laughs> where Josh Peck has a heart-to-heart with a dog about how the reason I'm angry at you sometimes is because every time I look at you, I think of my dad. Oh, definitely. <laughs> right? Gotta be. You just remind me of my dad. Yeah. He always cared about the hooches more than he cared about me. <laughs> <laughs> the hooches. <laughs> How many hooches have there been? If we're, if we're fourth generation, this is Hooch the fourth. Yeah. This Yeah, and who dies in this movie? They kill that dog brutally in this movie. Yeah. And it's sad. It's so sad. I did not yeah, expect that Yeah, he gets a shotgun blast to the chest yeah. and flies across the screen. Yeah. It's brutal. It's awful. <laughs> and Tom Hanks is sincerely, like, weeping over this dog, and they rush him to the vet, and and he's flatlining, he's coding on the table, yeah. and you're like, oh, Beasley, no! <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, it's very upsetting. I thought when yeah, he so- got him to the vet, they, they were going to save him. And no, this movie's like, no, you nope. won't cry. Cry again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks is just in shambles. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he's in shambles. She's like, I can't do anything more for him. I can just make him comfortable. He's, he's gone. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> so He feels like he failed him. He feels like he failed he, Hooch. He did. He did, <laughs> yeah. Because Hooch jumped in front of a shotgun blast to save Tom Hanks. Yeah. So you know at the end when Hooch Jr. shows up, which I'm not sure this movie or any movie with dogs understands how breeding works, but <laughs> it's true, though, because even um, Man's Best Friend with Ali Sheedy, which I know you've seen, the <laughs> evil dog, the evil Hooch, Hooch's evil twin, yeah. fucks a, a, another, it's always a collie. They always fuck collies with bows in their hands. Yeah. Because we have to, they have to know they're not gay dogs. Yes. This is heterosexual uh, dog fucking. Mm-hmm. So um, they in all of these movies, Beethoven, all of them. Yeah. 
if it, well, Beethoven, I think there's they're two of the same yeah. breed, right? Mrs. Beethoven is the same breed. Yeah. In most movies of this era, in well into the nineties, you have dog breed number one who's male, usually a collie who's the girl because yeah. collies look like women because they have long hair. Yeah. And they have pink bows always. The litter ends up always being all collies and then one bull mastiff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, or whatever. That's, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how dog this works. Breeding works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they're like they three quarters, like, no, that's not how. No, they'd all be a little bit of each. <laughs> no. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> that's how genes work. Yeah. So this movie's like, we killed Hooch, mm-hmm. but it's okay because he's reincarnated yeah. <laughs> in the life of his son. And you're like, he would be half calling. Yes. That does not what that dog looks like. Yeah. It's very strange. Bizarre. Ugh. And uh, man's best friend does the exact same thing. The <laughs> genetically, the dog that's mostly chameleon. That's the other thing. And man's best friend, <laughs> that dog's got six different DNAs. Yeah. Any yeah. one, those, those puppies would be monsters. <laughs> those puppies would have tentacles. <laughs> One of them would come out a chameleon, a literal fucking iguana. Yeah. <laughs> she would have had a cheetah. <laughs> she would have given birth to a jaguar. Uh. You know, it's like, ah, no, it's just, it's, it's a little Max 5000. And it's like with glowing eyes. It's like, that's not how it works. No, not at all. So we've got Hooch Jr. Yeah. Hooch Jr. had a litter. Mm-hmm. There's at least one Hooch. The third. So let's say what, what, whatever the breed that dog is probably lives about, what, eight to ten years, let's say? Yeah. Yeah. So 88 to 98. Uh-huh. But he's going to have multiple litters in that time. So let's say you get rid of all the hooches, but you keep a hooch for yourself. Yeah. A male hooch. You just keep the a one. stud. Yeah. So you got Papa Hooch. You got Junior Hooch. Hooch the third living together. Yeah. Papa Hooch dies in 1998. Junior Hooch. Or Hooch the Third yeah. starts procreating. Hooch the Third dies roughly somewhere around probably 2005. Yeah. Hooch the Fourth is going to live and t- probably until somewhere around 2010, 2012, somewhere in there. And he's dead. So we're fifth or sixth yeah. generation Hooch at this time. Yeah. Do you think they Th- just add an O for every generation it moves down? And now we're, we're Hooch <laughs> with six O's. <laughs> I think by the time you get to six generations of inbred hooches, <laughs> that hooch is crazy. Hooch is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Also, shouldn't that be the tagline of the reboot? Hooch is crazy. It would work for me. If they had done that, I would have watched it. Here's the tagline. Hooch is crazy. Turner's worse. <laughs> we barely talked about this actual movie. There is no plot here. No, my notes Hooch are... witnesses a murder. Yeah. Tom Hanks takes him in. He destroys Tom Hanks' apartment multiple times. Tom Hanks delays moving to the big city to solve this murder in a small town where crime never happens. Yeah. Except for international drug smuggling. <laughs> Except for the huge <laughs> ring, like the criminal syndicate that's operating under his nose. He's the worst cop ever. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> They're like, no crime ever happens here. The police captain is directly involved. Yes, that's why. In narcos yeah. drug trafficking. It's insane. It's insane. And don't give out speeding tickets. But there is an international Colombian drug cartel. Yeah. <laughs> Smuggling cocaine and money mm-hmm. in and out of the country by frozen fish. Yep. <laughs> And a dog has to die. The hero dog of the movie, who you love, dies to overcome, oh, uh, to expose the plot. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then oh. Tom Hanks falls in love with a veterinarian. Yeah. Because it's a movie about dogs. Yeah. So the love interest has to be a veterinarian. And then the movie ends with, if it's hooch, it'd be hooch. Yeah. It'd be two, three O's, yeah. right? Yeah. Hooch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who died in the 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That little baby puppy died in the 90s, folks. It's mm. really sad. Ugh. Every time you watch a movie with a dog in it, I want you to realize that dog is already dead by the time you saw that movie. <laughs> Dogs are like stars. When you see a star in the sky, that gas burned up a million years ago. Every animal you've ever seen in a movie died before you were born. <laughs> oh, God. And that's my review of Hooch. <laughs> and Hooch. Uh, I give this movie a 6.75 out of 10. And it comes in as my number three. It, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's not I, a bad movie. I gave it a 6.5. But I, okay, I, super close. I had originally given it a 7.5. <laughs> but then as the movie progressed and Hooch died... I docked it down to a 6.5 because as established in a previous episode, if a movie kills a dog, I deduct a point. If a movie kills a child, you add a point. Yeah. If a movie kills a dog, Minus one. you deduct a point. Yeah. Because yeah. kids in movies are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was going to come in at a 7.5 and then, you know, Hooch didn't make it. So down it went. 6.5. All right. So Lady Wan, what is your recommendation of the week? Uh, you know, my recommendation is Splash. That's what I'd recommend checking out. It's on Disney Plus. See the weird hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, see yeah. what we're talking Which about. Which only draws more attention to Daryl Hannah's ass. Yes. Yeah. That's my recommendation. <laughs> it's so strange. Lady Wan recommends Daryl Hannah's covered ass. Mm-hmm. I recommend Dragnet. Oh, Watch you're Dragnet. mean. <laughs> to see how movies should not be made. <laughs> I recommend every single writer for every single major and minor studio in the film industry watch Dragnet because you motherfuckers are making modern day Dragnets at every goddamn studio and we're fucking tired of it. More bigs, more splashes, more Turner and Hooches, less Dragnets. No punchline. <laughs> I would actually should. It would be a great caption for some podcasts out there uh, <laughs> where people riff and think they're funny. It should just be no, no punchlines. punchlines. <laughs> All setups, no punchlines. <laughs> long, long conversations about objects in the room. <laughs> That should be the threshold. That should be the threshold. If Dragnet and Punchline are funnier than your comedy podcast, you should be forced to delete it. It's fair. Hold up. Wait a minute. 
Something ain't right. Coming in dead last is Dragnet. If you're not funnier than Dragnet, delete your podcast. Next is Punchline. I gave Dragnet a 4 out of 10. I give a lot of podcasts a 4 out of 10. (laughs) I gave Punchline a 6.5 out of 10. You know, sometimes you watch money burn on a screen. Punchline is watching talent burn on a screen. Yeah. And you have Turner and Hooch, which is about a dog witness to a crime. And I give that a 6.75. Splash, I give an 8 out of 10. Uh, It's pretty good if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I would recommend it. But uh, my number one of the week going on to the short list is big, 9.5 out of 10. Shouldn't work as we elucidated yeah. ad nauseum, yeah. but it does. Yeah. My, my list is in the same order. Worst of the week, Dragnet, 3 out of 10. Number four, Punchline, 5 out of 10. Number three, Turner and Hooch, 6.5 out of 10. Should have been a 7.5, but deducted for a dog death. Number two, Splash, 7.5 out of 10. And number one, Big. 8.5 out of 10. I want to say about Big being on the guest list for, for this season. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not involved in when, when the voting will happen, when the choices will happen, when last movie standing will happen. But I just have to say, if we don't have Big, we never get 13 going on 30. So, you know, people need to keep that in That's mind true. that in a world without Big, we never have 13 going on 30. And I don't want to live in that world. So... On our very next episode, we will be ranking the films of Alfred Hitchcock, starting with 1954's Dial M for Murder, 1954's Rear Window, 1958's Vertigo, 1959's North by Northwest, and 1960's Psycho. Where can people find you? What do you got going on? What do you have in the works? What are you getting ready to do? <laughs> Tell the world! Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Lady One. I'm also on Letterboxd at the Lady One, and uh, you can hear me on Screen Run. Season one is out in its entirety. It was uh, myself and Chris. We were uh, Chris Scalzo is the host on the show with me. We reflected on the career of Kevin Smith, movie by movie, and uh, I slowly went insane. Um, season two. Should be out now. I'm saying it and willing it into existence. I am manifesting season two. Uh, We're going to talk about the Alien films one by one. Is Chris from Screen Run an automaton? We need to know. We need to find out. You have to listen to find out. Tweet us at Screen Run. (laughs) I want you to listen to his interactions with the Lady Wan, and I want you to tell me whether or not you believe He's actually a human being or an advanced android. (laughs) Ever since Pat died, I need to make it known. I don't do well with synthetics. Oh. All right. So you just stay away from me, Chris. You hear me? You just stay the fuck away from me. (laughs) All right. You have anything else to plug or have we alienated your (laughs) co-host? Yeah, I got to make sure this this show continues. Uh, (laughs) No, that's all I got. That's all I got. It's all right. Nobody listens to each other's podcasts anyways. No, no, we all subscribe and then delete them. (laughs) Yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) Uh, True confession. Of an indie podcast. Oh, boy. We're spilling some Uh, podcast tea today. (laughs) 
Yeah. I don't give any fucks anymore. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> the ones who do listen, those are the people worth it. But the people are like, yeah, I support your show. And you're like, hey, can you come on and do an episode? And they're and they're like, what's your format? <laughs> it's like, motherfucker, you ain't listening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't tell me you listened when you don't even know the rules of the show. Guess what? It's called binge movies. That means you have to watch more than a movie. <laughs> it's in the name. Probably more than two if it's a binge. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> It's exhausting getting DMs from people begging to be on your show that they've never listened to. And then when you set a date with them, they don't show the fuck up. That's exhausting. This went off the rails, but I, 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 I have a feeling that the people who actually like this show are not going to have a problem with it going off the rails. Because nah. I think the binge lords who get it really get it. Yeah. And we're making a show for that very specific group of people around the world. Yeah. And uh, those guys seem to really get it. And they all are 99% guys. <laughs> <laughs> My guess. Just a guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just judging by how much reaction I get for all of the pro wrestling references I sprinkle in the show, I'm guessing it's mostly dudes. <laughs> I'm just hoping they bathe. <laughs> <laughs> Pro tip, if you're going to go to a Comic-Con or a gaming convention or a wrestling match, wash your ass. That's the lesson we've learned here today. From the top of the show to the bottom of the show, from tip to taint, wash your ass. <laughs> Until next time, wash your ass. <laughs> Binge on. <laughs> <laughs>